you've heard uh, and saw mentioned at times, it is a strong word that means his, uh, in, in, if I can paraphrase, uh, Jesus' gut shook. It was gut-wrenching, that compassion. This is not soft. And so I'm not, I'm not good at preaching cute sermons anyway, but when, I, when you see what's happening here, this is not about being cute. When he saw the crowds, this is Jesus, he had compassion. Splankna, splankna. You can almost hear it in the Greek word, right? Splankna. His gut shook. Same word you see when Judas had betrayed Jesus and he went out and jumped and killed himself and his gut splattered. It's basically that there. So just get a picture. So his, his gut shook. He's feeling something here. Splankna. The, the other word that impresses us here, uh, verse 30, I'll read 37 and 38 together. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. And that word send out there, that, that, those two words in English uh, is one word there in the Greek. And, and uh, I think, Bethany, in my 22 years there, you've certainly heard me preach probably from here a couple of times. That word send out is a strong word, ekbalo, you Greek students, right? We, we, all those money we spent, people did seminary, all you did it just so you can remember a few Greek words and get your money's worth. Ekbalo, again, a word you can almost hear it in the Greek. Wow, that sounds almost violent. Ekbalo, thrust out. Thrust out. It's not strong language, right? Uh, you go, just to give you a hint, that's the word that's often used. Uh, you can take your eye back up to verse 32. Um, the derivative of this same word is used in verse 32. As they were going away, behold, a demon-possessed man who was mute was brought to him. And here in verse 33, and when the demon had been cast out, Jesus cast the demon out, and he's using uh, the same, same root word there, strong, thrust, pushed, pushed out. So I want us to just feel that, feel that. Gut-wrenching. Jesus' compassion. Thrust, pushed. If we are going to be effective as individuals, as churches, as busy people, at reaching people for Jesus, we must keep seeing and believing that Jesus is always stirring the pot. Jesus is always stirring the pot. Will you say that with me? Jesus is always stirring the pot. Now, I am not much of a cook, but I am much of an eater. <clears throat> and I have watched my share of cooks. And whether it's soup or stew or stir fry or a good roast, uh, things must be stirred if you want it to be done right. Things with multiple ingredients especially, there's a necessity to stir them. You can get the right temperature all you want, but if you don't stir, you don't do that right kind of stirring, there's, and there's a, there's a, a good cooks, you watch them, there's a, there's a rhythm almost to it. There's a motion, there's a flow. Hmm? to constantly stir and 
reposition, even a roast. You've got you to reposition these things so that it, it will cook properly, thoroughly. Uh, to the naked eye sometimes, and certainly I have to remember as a child watching my mom cook at times, and I ask questions, why do you do this? Why do you do that? You know, when I'm, I was one of those inquisitive kids, why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? Oh, you'll understand later, she'd say. But there's a rhythm, there's a motion to stirring if you want good soup, good stew, good stir fry, good roast. For things to be adequately cooked, not just the right texture on the outside, but on the inside. Again, you can have the right temperature, but if you don't, you don't stir that thing right, you don't, you don't move and get that roast to move around, that, that, that outside texture can be good, and we've all experienced that, biting into something that looks good on the outside. Texture great on the outside, but the inside has not been adequately cooked. The right blend, and sometimes if you don't stir properly, whether it's stew and soup sometimes, and I've, I've, I've been guilty, I can't even do a good can of soup. I open cans of soup and pour them in and forget to stir, and they get, they get burnt. And I'm like, what happened? Well, you, you still got to stir it. But there's a stirring so that it doesn't sometimes overcook. Things don't burn. And then other things, even I, I mess up macaroni and cheese in pots. I've tried to cook big things like that for kids after school. You don't stir them right, get too gooey and all of that. There's, there's, it's important. Jesus is always stirring the pot toward mission. For you and I to be on mission with him and and, and by stirring the pot, I'm talking about he takes all of those things, your temperament, your testimony, your, your spiritual gifts, your lack thereof spiritual gifts, your strengths, your weaknesses, your trials, your family burdens, He's constantly stirring those things. As raw as some ingredients may be, and some areas are very raw, but he's always stirring so that both us as individuals, you and I as individuals, and then as churches, as congregations, so that we will be about his father's business. But like me watching a cook and watching my mom and child, you, 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 to the naked eye oftentimes, it doesn't make sense. Why all that stirring? Why? But he's always stirring. I'm not going to turn there, but Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10 and 11, really key verses for me have been for many years. Just, just to, 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 to tell you, get what I'm, see, I'm not just making this up and pulling it out. Here, here's, a, here's a Bible verse or two to, 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 I believe, back me up a bit. It says that talking about Jesus, it says this, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. For it was fitting for him. Fitting. It's talking about Jesus. And it's talking about Jesus, fully God, becoming a man. For it was fitting. It was the right thing for him, for his father and for him to do this together. Because it was fitting for him in bringing, catch what he's doing. It was fitting for him in bringing many sons to glory. Jesus came, God, the Father sends the Son, why? Because he's on a mission. The Father and Son already had perfect harmony and fellowship, but he sent Jesus to bring many sons and daughters, you and I, to glory. So it says, the Father, 
For it was fitting for him in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation. That word captain, some of your Bibles would say author. It was fitting in bringing many sons to glory to make the author of salvation, Jesus. It was fitting for him in bringing many sons to glory because that's the mission he's on, to make the author of salvation, the captain of our salvation, perfect through suffering. That doesn't seem to be good. To stir it up. And then the next verse, verse 7 says, for both, and I love this, for both he who sanctifies, now who's the one who sanctifies? That's Jesus. That's Father, Son, Holy. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified, that's you and I, in process. Both he who is sanctified. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. Those of us in process, those of us with weakness and distractions, and if you just got saved yesterday, and all the sin and temptation is, seems still so real, and you're just wondering, both he who sanctifies, Jesus is in the process of sanctifying you, and those of us who are being we're one with him. This is union with Christ. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, Catch this. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. That's why that verse is so good to me. He's not ashamed to call us brethren. Though my sanctification is lacking. I imagine a few of you might not be all you want to be. It was to take Jesus in his humanity and stir in suffering. So both he, who's going to be sanctifying folks like you and I, if he's sanctifying us, separating us, putting us apart, it's that we might be on mission with him. Both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified, one. For which reason he is not ashamed. To coalesce, brother. Now, I got to be honest with you. I, 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 there, but for the grace of God, even I get an invitation like this to come preach at a missions conference, it's, it's only by the grace of God that I'm not utterly ashamed. To preach on missions. Preach on evangelism, on outreach. When I consider sometimes my own lack I'm not talking, I'm talking to me before I became a pastor preacher. I think about it. I'm like, like most of you all. From, if I count up my teenage years and, and, and my, my adult years before I became a pastor, that would be 20 years or so I worked in the marketplace. And I think sometimes about all the, and I, I, wasn't, I wasn't a hypocrite. I'm not saying I was a hypocrite. But I'm just thinking, all the missed opportunities how easily I could just be distracted from, 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 from telling people or trying to nudge people, trying to plant water, 
how often when I worked in the marketplace, I, I was more concerned about people being right with me on the job and gave a hoot sometimes. I was a Christian. I mean, I, you know, I was hoping people get saved, but I'm just, I'm just being honest. When I see Jesus, Jesus, his gut shook. How often I could, I could, before I go into work or come home from work, I could sit and just be thinking through a plan and, 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 and a strategy and how often I was willing to sacrifice to get promotions. You know what I'm saying? Bite my tongue or, you know, I was like, this ain't really my personality, but if I want to get this, if I want to get this promotion, I got I to gotta, I gotta speak up at this meeting. I got I to gotta show, you know, this may not be my strong point, but I got to do it well. I think sometimes about, man, all the, how, you know, to, to make more money, the things I did, you know, again, wasn't a hypocrite thing, but it just was, it was just, it was just, it was the, it's the atmosphere. You all know, right? It's the atmosphere. Corporate America and other jobs, it's just the atmosphere. To impress people. You know, I just, just, if you just go with the flow and I think, wow, I mean, how many times I sat in my car before I went and worked sometimes some morning or whatever, or as I'm driving, and I just, I prayed urgently. Oh, Lord, you know this person gets on my nerves. Please make this a day. I just don't want to curse them out. I don't want to punch them out. That would really ruin my testimony. But oh, how urgently I could pray. Or God, I'm under a lot of stress. Please make this job not stressful this week. Oh, I could pray for things like that with urgency and fervency. And I think someone said, man, I, yeah, I wanted to see people get saved, but... I, you know, to really think through strategy, like I thought through strategy, how I was going to make it that week at work, or strategy to impress the boss. I should be shamed, but it's his grace. You know, I grew up in a church, one of my favorite songs that comes, I heard it, heard it a week or two ago and just came back, you know, we grew up and it was a song we sang, said, please, uh, 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 some of y'all remember uh, uh, James Cleveland and Albertina Walker, please be patient with me. God is not through with me yet. But he grew up, that song was sung all the time growing up. Even riding to church with my daddy in the car, we said, please be patient with me. God is not through with me yet. And I tell you, when it comes to this subjects of, of mission, of being God's, being on mission with God as his people, individually, congregationally, that's a prayer. There's hope. That what I was yesterday and where I fell short yesterday and being intentional and being passionate and feeling it and doing it even when I don't feel it, there's hope for me today because as that verse says, Hebrew chapter 2, verse 11 says, both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are one. And he's not ashamed. Hallelujah, this one, he's not ashamed. to call us his brethren. He's not ashamed because he's stirring the pot. Those areas of brokenness in your life that aren't fixed up. you got areas like I got areas that say, I'm kind of scared to open my mouth because all the mess I'm going through and how I'm barely keeping my head above water and how jacked up my family is, how I'm a witness to somebody else. It's by his grace. It's his mercy. 
He's always pushing us to the brink. And what I'm getting at there in the text, brother, is to the edge of faithfulness away from our self-reliance. And into the power, the hope, the wisdom that a merciful God will meet his children. The verse that, that, that Julie opened with there, on 103 there, I believe it was, that he remembers we're but dust. Yeah, as somebody said we were praying this morning before we came in here, as someone prayed, we're, we're his dust. And we are new creatures in Christ, and we're on mission with him. We're not working for him. We're working with him. And not only are we working with him, sometimes he's at working us in spite of us. Stirring the pot. Pushing us to the brink. Away from our self-reliance. Away from from, from, from figuring it out on our own. Training us, yes, praying urgently, those last-minute prayers. God, I'm going in work today, you got to help me. But he's also bringing us to the end of ourselves, so I pray that way. But God, there are lost people around me today. And without you, Lord Jesus, giving me some boldness, and it's there, I want to claim it, that I won't go beyond asking about the weather and talking about the latest sports news. He's not ashamed. The, the, the author of, 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 of the writer, I should say, of Matthew, this, 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 um, this great gospel, um, and really the verses 35 through 38 really are summary for me in terms of the whole chapter, chapter 9, and really of the whole gospel of Mark, if you will. But I, I, love, I, love, I love Matthew's gospel because when we talk about the struggle, the challenge, that often comes with, again, for I think 10% of Christians have the gift of evangelism where it's just naturally and strong and dominant. Most of us, it's not. And so if you're like me, uh, you know, when I did, before I was a pastor, and certainly when I went to mission conferences or heard things like that, I was like, ah, oh, boy, this is hard. <laughs> not my strong point. Or I've been in churches where uh, there, was, there was just so many good things and necessary things to do that it was hard to sometimes keep the priority level of staying, making it a top priority to engage those who, who have virtually no or very little opportunity to hear and see the gospel. The challenge and frustration. Matthew is just, again, he's, he, he, he's humble how he writes here, but if you were to take your eyes to verses 9 through, through 13 there, uh, you'd see... Uh, it says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. This is leading up these miracles that Jesus does, leading up to uh, where we see him at the end of the chapter. But Matthew, the writer here, he writes very deliberately. Uh, it says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And that's really, I believe, Matthew being humble by only putting one verse in of how uh, someone like him, uh, transformed, changed. And what I want us to, to gain hope in is we are, regardless of where we've been at, and we thankful for mission conferences so that we can all be renewed and hopefully re-energized and those who've never been exposed to be informed perhaps for the first time. 
but that constant renewal we needed, that God is in, we're in process. God is in process with us. And there's hope, not looking at ourselves, but in him. He's stirring the pot. And whatever you're going through, whatever I'm going through, yes, he's bringing us deliberately to the end of self-reliance in those things. Why? So that as we're crying out to him, God, fix this in my life, fix this in my children's life, that it's reminding me how desperately I need him for everything, even to be a faithful witness, even to be a faithful church member. Because I can always find enough reason. Jesus, if you're serious about mission, this was my testimony. Some of you church heard enough time. That was my testimony. I got saved and I got serious about Lord in my late teens. And I saw all my friends. I said, there's no hope. I'm like Matthew. Got saved and looked at all my friends and people were like me. And I'm like, there's no hope. I was a pastor's son, so I saw enough mess inside of churches to, you, you get it. I said, there's no hope that the church is going to reach my friends. So I, I'm, if I'm going to be about Jesus' mission, I'm checking out church. I'll follow you, Jesus, but I can't do it inside of church. I'm ashamed of that now. But you, you get the tension, the struggle, why we are desperate creatures. But Matthew, uh, you know, some of you all know the, the context. I won't break it on. But Matthew, of course, he's a tax collector. He is the scum. He's the scum of the community. He really is. And, and uh, if you, some of the, some of the uh, researchers, and I'll say, particularly there were two, two types of tax collectors and, you know, one kind of connected general taxes, income tax, property taxes. And there's another one that got, a, got to really uh, basically set the rules how they wanted to, to collect, you know, uh, uh, from anything. You know, they could t t harbor tax. I could tax your wheels as you went by. I could, uh, and where he would have been situated would have been a very uh, um, opportune place for him to really take a lot of advantage of a lot of people, if you know the context of where he was situated and so forth. So uh, he would have, he was, and he was of that brand of tax collector that uh, when people came by with packages, he could say, stop, open your packages. It would have, it would have been a route, a route that a lot of people traveled on, open your packages. He could say, you gotta, I'm gonna tax that, I'm gonna tax that. He could make you open your mail and say, open your mail, read the letter and say, oh, there's something to do in this letter about business. You need to pay me a tax for that. He do, and he had the Roman government backing him up. As long as he gave them their share, how he, pilfered off to get his own against his own people. He's Jewish, doing it to his own people. So he's, he's, he's pretty, I mean, you, you know, just, just to feel the sting of that, you think, think of, you know, he, so he could basically be a bully. Think about somebody who's a, who's a thief and a bully. Think about somebody who, who, who takes advantage of, of vulnerable people in their community. Think about somebody who rips people off. Think, think about the Bernie Madoff. When you hear names like Bernie Madoff, Harvey Weinstein, scum. R. Kelly. I mean, this is, and so right, right before Matthew gets saved, right before that is when Jesus heals the paralytic. And he heals him by saying, don't, he doesn't say, first of all, he doesn't say to him, get up, he says, your sins are forgiven. <gasps> Only God can do that. So he wows them that he forgives for that. Then the question in everybody's mind, well, if he can forgive sin, how much sin can be given? And then Matthew inserts himself and tells his story. How much sin can God forgive? Who can God use when he stirs the pot? And that's Matthew. You and I have to be encouraged because like, like Matthew, we have people in our lives, people that God means for us individually and collectively as churches. He means for us to be faithful in planting watering and trusting God for the increase.
A lot of those folks, it's obvious because they're, they're bums on the street or whatever, but then there's a lot, certainly in America and certainly in places like the Northeast like us. There's just so many people that they're not, they don't look to be down and out enough. It's America, right? Outwardly, they look like the least likely, like Matthew did. Outwardly, they look like the least interested, like Matthew did. I mean, Jesus has been in Capernaum. He's been doing miracles and things like that. This guy's sitting, tax collectors sitting. Matt, uh, uh, tax collectors, they were, and guys like Matthew were considered such scum. They, even though he was Jewish, he was not allowed to go to the synagogue. My wife got a, a jury duty notice recently. They didn't send jury duty notices to people like Matthew because you didn't trust their testimony in court. You were not allowed to go. They were complete outcasts. Looks like the least likely, the least needy. The dude's making money, man. <laughs> he's, a crook, he's crooked how he gets it, but he's making money. He's comfortable by, by you've got outright people think, oh, he's comfortable. He can, he can get away with stuff. He's like, you know, he's a bully. He, he, he threw a party right after Jesus got him because that's probably what he was used to doing. He had like, a nice big crib, and, you know, he hosted parties at his crib for, for people like him. How comfortable. Look who he hangs with. He seems calloused. It's a lot of the folks you and I are around, a lot of our neighbors and so forth. And this is why we must continue to trust and lean and be renewed by the gospel and the gospel of Jesus Christ alone. We must see that Jesus is stirring the pot. And there's things happening underneath that I don't see in people's lives. And there's things he's doing to stir in my life so that we will be faithful witnesses. Romans, you know, Romans 1, 16, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Yes, we need to visibly demonstrate it, but no matter how well we visibly demonstrate it individually and collectively, we can never measure up to the purity to the holiness, to the righteousness that is displayed in Jesus Christ dying for you and I and being resurrected. So it must be told. It must be verbalized. Gospel is power. It has the power to stir up in people like Matthew, people like your neighbors, your co-workers, people who look the least likely, who look the least interested, who look, don't look needy because they look comfortable. Young people, don't buy it. Don't buy it. That your teenage friends, won't, they won't want to hear that. Oh, the same ones who make mock of you. You don't know. You live that out. You speak it out. When they put their head on the pillow at night, the hound dog of heaven. Track them down. The gospel has power. It has power. We must believe it. It has the power to stir desire for people who weren't thinking about it. It has the power to unthaw people. It, you know, we talk about, yes, we need to do ministries that scratch where people itch. But let me tell you something. The power of the gospel, the goodness of the gospel, and we've got to preach it to ourselves. The goodness of the gospel, is, it has the ability not only to scratch where people itch, but it has the ability to make them itch where they need to itch. That's right. If I say right, even right now, the power of suggestion, and this is just the power of suggestion, not even the power of the gospel. I'm going to say right now, I mean, if, uh, if you, 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 when we go back here to eat lunch, if it gets quiet at your table, 
and somebody across from you lets out a big old yawn. You watch. Pay attention at that table. They let out a big old yawn. It gets quiet for a moment. You'll see some other people yawn. Yeah. They had to be careful how put popcorn in movie scenes because you sit in the movie theater and popcorn come across you all of a sudden. Hmm? If I say to you right now, when's the last time you had a real itch in the middle of your back? A couple of you all are going to sit there and think about it. In a little bit, you're going to be itching in the middle of your back. <laughs> That's not even the gospel. Just a power suggestion. We must verbalize. We must share it. We must lean into the grace. I just want to close, but take your eyes at verse 13 there, uh, up with the story of Matthew. When, when, when Matthew gets saved, and some of you all know the story, he, gets, he, he, he invites Jesus, uh, he goes to his house, and it says, many, many tax collectors and sinners, scum like him, organized crime, basically, and then the sinners would be people like prostitutes and so forth, gathers houses. Many of them are there. And so, of course, Jesus goes, and the Pharisees see, and they begin to question, how can it be? Jesus, Rabbi, how can it be you would hang out with them? In verse 13, I want to close here. It says, Jesus says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And you and I have to remember that as much as we, 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 we can, no matter how much I try, we can walk away from sermons like this feeling guilty or feeling like we got to do, do, do. What he's getting at in that verse and what he's always getting at in the Bible and the gospel is don't put the cart before the horse. Relying on ourselves, our own ingenuity, trying to drive ourselves or drive others through guilt is never his goal. I desire mercy and not sacrificed. And just to, 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 to paraphrase and really interpret that verse for you, what he's basically getting at is, I desire you to be connected to my heart, is what that verse was basically getting at. They're, they're focusing on sacrifice. That was a sacrificial system that the Pharisees and didn't happen at the temple and all that. And they're focused on that. He says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He's saying, you're relying on the outward uh, sacrificial system and all the outward things you can do where I want you to be connected to my heart. He's talking about the inner life being aligned with the outer life. The inner life being aligned with the outer life. And that's what Jesus is doing and stirring you and stirring me. All those things in your heart that bring us to the end of ourselves. That we find ourselves crying out to him, Jesus, fix this. Jesus, and, he, and he's at work, but it's working on our hearts that our hearts might be aligned with him. And when our hearts are aligned with him, we will do the right things. Micah 6, 8. What does the Lord require of us? Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with our God. That is what God is after, that our hearts would be aligned with his heart. And as he stirs, and as he's stirring, and as he's stirring, and he's helping you hear the gospel in the midst of all the struggles and trials, all the frustrations, he wants you to be on mission with him. Bow with me, great and mighty God. We thank you for Jesus this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. 
I pray right now, Holy Spirit, you would seal your truth in people's hearts. Where there's any error, where there's any distraction, I pray you would filter that out. And then, God, you would draw those who don't know you this morning to a saving relationship with you. And then those who are in a relationship with you, God, that you would strengthen them and their faith and confidence in you. God, would you, would you empower every ministry that is represented here, every home that is represented here, every workplace that is represented here, every neighborhood that is represented here. Would you empower your people in fresh ways to trust you that where they are, you are. And they're not working for you, they're working with you. We pray, God, that you would be glorified in all things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.